Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and today I'm talking to Christina Kemp, a nurse practitioner who currently works in a large hospital in Boston. Christina has a previous degree in biochem, barely no dum-dum, and decided to go back to school to become a nurse practitioner after her dad died of cancer. She has worked in, an inpat- in the inpatient setting on the palliative care service, as well as a hospitalist on the oncology service, and is now in outpatient oncology. Christina also regularly educates her fellow nurse practitioner, PA, and nursing students. Damn, you sound like an amazing clinician. So today, I want to talk with you about how she's doing, her inspiration behind becoming a nurse practitioner, and then the surprising turn of events, her TikTok infamy. Hi, Christina. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really honored. Oh, well, I'm honored. I'm so honored. Ugh. I love what I love what Christina is up to, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, how are you doing today? Like, how are you doing as a human in the middle of this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways, um, you know, it's been so long now, right? Like, how many months has it been? And in some ways, it's gone by so fast, and in some ways, it's gone by at a snail's pace. So, um, I think uh, I think we've adapted fairly well to this kind of new norm. You know, here in Massachusetts, um, where I currently live, things are pretty good from a case standpoint with COVID and people are pretty respectful with masks. So um, things feel pretty under control here. Um, but, you know, our family, obviously, life has has changed quite a bit between childcare and, and work. Um, but on the whole, I've I'm when I reflect back on it, I think we've been doing a pretty good job adapting to all these crazy changes that we've had to endure. How, and how is it? Um, well, I'm so glad to hear about that. I'm also very happy that things are doing well in Boston. How yes. has it been as, for you as a clinician? Yeah, that's been really tricky. You know, obviously at the start of this pandemic, there was um, so much uncertainty and so much fear and, um, just so much unknown. And there was uh, a lot of confusion about what was happening. Um, so things in the hospital were very scary. Um, you know, the, clearly things took an extreme approach, you know, shutting down uh, elective procedures and, um, you know, at our surge, you know, we had to convert, um, I think in our hospital, we have nine or 10 ICUs and we had to convert all of them, including a pediatric ICU into an adult COVID ICU. And then we had to convert four or five regular 
regular floors into ICUs. So at our peak, it was pretty bad and it was very scary. And I had to get, I actually got redeployed as they say, back into my inpatient role to help sort of offset some of the burden and the volume that they were seeing. So there was at the time, you know, there was a lot we didn't know, you know, there was a shortage of N95s, there um, shortage of gowns. I mean, it was chaos and truly nobody knew um, where we would go. You know, it almost felt like the walking dead was about to happen. Mm -hmm. And looking back now and today in almost November, um, it clearly didn't get to that point. I'm so grateful, but at the time there was so much uncertainty. It was really scary. That sounds so scary. We did not endure that here in Seattle. Um, we did surge, but not to anything to that, to that degree. I just can't imagine feeling that weight of like scarcity of supplies and, um, my God, that's, in, that's yeah. incredible. That's insane. It's just insane. I can't believe you're on the other side of that. And I hope that here we are looking into, <laughs> we're both crossing our fingers. <laughs> we're I know. looking into winter, you know, fall and winter and hopefully we won't and see, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to get that bad again, knock on yeah. wood, but, um, but yeah, at that time, you know, when you're in the thick of it and you're, literally in the midst of a complete unknown, um, especially in a world like medicine where there, we, we, we thrive on certainty, right? Like we have studies that support um, our practice. We, we have evidence, like there's just so much that guides our day-to-day practice as clinicians, as nurses, as providers, and to suddenly be thrust into this world of unknown and uncertainty was really unfamiliar for everybody. And I think um, that was really hard. That was really hard. <laughs> yeah, March and April. I think we're grossly anxiety producing <laughs> for mm-hmm. for so many of us. Like I almost mm-hmm. like don't I remember it, but I don't remember it, you know, because it was just you know, we had, we just carried so much fear and anxiety. Um oh I Thank wanna goodness, mention yeah. though that you know, you take care of like the most vulnerable population in regards to COVID, right? Because they're immune yeah. a lot of times are immunosuppressed, all these outpatient uh, these cancer oncology patients you know, because once they get it, they could very well die from it because they don't have the immune system to fight it off. What, um, I guess, how did that feel as a provider working with um, such a vulnerable population? Yeah, it was kind of um, a bit of a dichotomy because on one hand, we feel, we feel, felt and feel this sort of um, protective sort of urge to protect our patients, right? We want to protect them from illness and harm. We want to protect them from infectious diseases that could kill them, you know, but at the same time, we felt this need to treat them and keep, continue their chemo treatment that could be life-saving. Um, even for our patients who, you know, are metastatic and aren't curable, you know, those patients, even then we would do anything we could to get their chemo going. And some patients were terrified of coming in and chose to delay treatment. And that was a choice that they had to make that was best for them. Um, but yeah, our population is very vulnerable. And I think it makes me and my colleagues hyper aware of, um, you know, it's almost like I live with my elderly grandparents or something. Like I basically feel that I have these very vulnerable people very close to me. So I take what I do very seriously to protect them. Spoken like a true, I don't know, true nurse hero, nurse <laughs> practitioner hero. I mean, we, yeah, we, we always have to think about our patients um, and we should be. Um, we mm-hmm. had patients that, uh, I think, you know, they had 
bone marrow transplants that were scheduled to happen and postpone treatment. And who knows what that fallout's going to be from that, right? Like, um, and I do think that our, like this, I think the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance is doing research on basically what, you know, of course they have numbers and data and they'll be able to sort of track what happened and what will happen to those people in the future. But yeah, um, I know. But interestingly, our cancer center, we normally see, I think about 18,000 visits a year and um, outpatient. And this year we're still on track for 18,000 visits. So we haven't, I mean, some of them are virtual. So some patients that don't have to come in for a chemo that just need sort of a visit to check in, you know, we can do virtual visits with those patients, but on the whole, our number of visits for our cancer population has not gone down, which I think is good, you know, Mm -hmm. and believe me, cancer doesn't take a break just because there's a pandemic. So we've had plenty of people coming with new diagnoses too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I bet. I bet. And honestly, and I think, I mean, obviously during this time of the pandemic, a lot of people really aren't taking very good care of themselves. I mean, I understand why, right? Because we're just trying to do the best we can. Um, And those are having other sort of implications for, I mean, us here in Seattle. um, And then who knows what the long-term, the long-term outcome is going to be for like, will that cause an increase in cancer, you know, because of, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, whatever. All of that. I think you're right. There's going to be decades and decades of like, retrospective looks at how 2020 affected sort of long-term outcomes in different populations. It's, it's going to be interesting to see. And I hope that, you know, we will learn something from it. I, um, but yeah, I, I fully expect that there's going to be a lot of interesting data coming out in the next mm-hmm. several years. Yeah. Wow. I just, we're, we're, we're going to be here to see what that is. <laughs> yes, we, we will. will. We will be present. We will. Yes. We will. Um, okay. So Christina, I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, and this is, you know, probably a vulnerable, um, topic, but I wanted to ask you about your decision to go back to school to become a nurse practitioner. How did, um, losing your dad sort of affect and impact that decision? Yeah. I mean, clearly that was a, like with a lot of folks that go into healthcare, you know, that was a really, um, sort of a significant point in my life. You know, I was in college for biochemistry. My whole plan was to do, you know, research in a lab and maybe get a PhD. Dad got sick when I was in college. He lived in Maryland at the time and, um, you know, really did okay for a while. And then when I would go home and go with him to, to treatment or to visits, it was very often the PAs or the NPs that we would see. And I just really was able to witness firsthand sort of the role that they played and how much more intimately they got to know my dad compared to the oncology physician, you know? Um, and then, uh, after college I was working and then my, my dad died, you know, so I was at home with him on hospice. And I should say even years prior to that, I had decided to start volunteering at a hospice, which was also definitely formative for me. Um, and really sort of solidified my desire to work with patients. So I think my dad knew I wanted to go back to school. And I remember distinctly, you know, when he was dying, he was like, you, you should go, you need to go back to school. Cause he knew I wasn't happy doing the work I was doing. And after that, I just said, you know what, screw it. Like, what's, what's the point in doing work that you're not happy with? And, um, you know, when you're 18 years old or 17 and looking at college, you know, you don't know what you want to do for the rest. Of course, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I should have just done nursing as an undergrad. But no, all those years sort of created the person that I became, you know? So, so yeah, I decided to, um, uh, I decided at that time, the, the, the main programs that were around were direct entry nursing programs for NPs. There weren't there weren't these sort of um, accelerated BSN programs that are everywhere today. 
Um, but I, I knew I kind of wanted to be in an, an advanced practice role, just kind of having witnessed what they did with my dad. So I opted to apply to those programs and, and I got in and it was um, an awesome experience. And um, I would cannot imagine doing anything else with my life. Like I truly feel that those, who, those of us who go into nursing and, and healthcare really genuinely feel called to do it as like kind of, you know, fluffy as that mm-hmm. sounds. I think it's a calling. Like we are drawn toward this work and you don't accidentally, you know, fall into oncology. You don't accidentally fall into, you know, wanting to be in a role where you are witnessing crisis and vulnerability and that we're privileged to be in that position. That's not something you accidentally fall into, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yeah. So that's, that was over 10 years ago now and never look back. So how, um, how uh, did, I'm just thinking about to those nurse practitioner practitioners and PAs that you interfaced with. How does how did that impact your practice now, or how does it impact your practice now? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think it was. Um, I think it's just the the witnessing of how sort of um, therapeutic their interactions were with my dad, you know, and how they were the ones that had the bulk of communication with us when we had a question about something, you know, they were the ones who spent time in the office. Um, it just, they felt more accessible. They felt more sort of relatable, you know, and really, of course I wasn't the patient, but from my dad's standpoint, I know he has said that he just felt, he would, he would never refer to his oncologist. He would always say, Oh, you know, my PA and would say her name. He would always refer to her because he just felt like she was so um, involved in his care and invested so that definitely influenced sort of how I practice today because I could see what an impact that had on him. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking back to another nurse practitioner who's a friend of mine, and we talked a bit about her time um, working with patients in the inpatient setting and or the, well outpatient setting because she she but she really did get to know all these patients and and you know you get to know about their families, get to know about what they they like what they don't like what they're up to how they're coping in life and they're you know obviously cancer can happen to anybody and an incredible um way for you to connect with people um uh, just to sort of listen to them and be with them and hear their story right yeah and I feel like having done both um sort of work in the acute care setting and the ambulatory setting you really get a sense for obviously the differences um, and you know, one of the things I love about ambulatory is you, you really get to know people longitudinally, right? Like you see them from diagnosis until death many times and you get to know them and you're along with them in their entire trajectory of their journey with cancer. Um, you know, inpatient is different, right? I mean, you meet people in a crisis, you meet people when they are, um, either newly diagnosed and not doing well or having bad symptoms or whatever it may be. And that, that is a privilege too, you know, because it's, I almost see it as like a, um, like when you start dating someone and you just like fall in love hard and fast, you know, and then you move in together after like a month, because, you know, when you are forced to spend this time with this person, when they're the most vulnerable and scared and they rely on you and you are their lifeline for comfort and for um, support, um, you know, that, that is such a privilege in my opinion. And so even though those patients, I didn't get to know longitudinally, although many of them were frequent flyers, so got readmitted a lot. But, you know, there was still this sort of capacity and ability to um, really bond and sort of develop that therapeutic relationship, even as an inpatient. So that's something I love about oncology in particular is 
sort of that ability to meet the person, the patient where they are in their most vulnerable state and to not take that for granted and to really maximize the sort of, um, the sort of, you know, just therapeutic part of that relationship that you can develop. You just immediately cut through the BS and you become like fast friends. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And not only that, you see them butt naked. You know what I mean? It's like totally. I know. You know, Ugh. you're like, let me see your poop. Oh, I see. Okay. You know, let me, right. let me, um, yeah, all of it. Let me check it. Like this, this pressure ulcer. Let's look at your butt, yeah, you know, rash on your back or let's, you know, look at this. Very intimate. It's very yeah, intimate. Yes. De- most definitely. Um, uh, I just can I can imagine how you must be with your patients and you're probably just wonderful with them. Um, thank you. I, I, Love it. I don't take a moment moment for granted, you know. I do believe that it is in our calling, like, um, or it is a calling. Like I have had many times where um like I mean I've definitely you know, especially as a new as a when I was a new nurse or I was like working as a CNA, like trying to, you know, get ready to go to nursing school, like being in the hospital setting, I just feel like, God, I love this place. And that's not most people don't feel that way. Or in, you know, yeah. certain clinical scenarios where I'm, I'm like, this is so freaking cool what's going on right now. Pinch me. Can you just pinch me? Because, like, the science is amazing. You know, what we can do for patients is amazing. And um, so I just, uh, yeah, yeah. It's really funny you say that because I it makes me think back to, like, when I was in high school and my grandmother, my dad's mother, was living in a nursing home at the time, like, around the corner from her house. And, you know, nursing homes are depressing. Oh, like, I am sorry. Yes. Even the nicest of nursing homes are like really depressing. Yes. There's like old people sitting in wheelchairs in the hallway, just staring aimlessly into space. And there's like people wandering, just like, del- you know, delirious and saying like, you know, it's, 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 it's a nutty place, but I would visit her like as often as I could. And I loved it. Like I loved going to hang out with her and all her little old people buddies and, you know, chit chatting with all her friends. And it was, um, and everyone thought I was crazy. They were like, why do you like going to the nursing home? I'm like, I don't know. There's something about it that I kind of just, I'm comfortable there. I like yeah. it, you know? So that was one of the first indications I think that I was like, all right, I think I can, I, think I can deal with people who are vulnerable, who aren't sort of, you know, in perfect health. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, when you said that, that reminded me of that, how like, it's just kind of an environment where you say like, mm-hmm. I could do this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Feels right. Um, random question. This is totally random. I've never asked any other guests this before. What's the what's the one thing in nursing that or in like with healthcare that you can't do? And I'm talking bodily fluids. Is there one? I've got mm. one. Mm. Do you have one? What's yours? <laughs> Sorry. Sputum. I mean, unfortunately, I, I'm oh, in yeah. critical care. So, I mean, there's, you know, sputum everywhere. Obviously, I'm in, Mc, in MICU. And so there's people resting yes. on ventilators and just got copious amounts of and tricks yeah. and all that stuff. Um, I can, you know, stomach it now, but it's there. Are, that's one of the things, one of the only things that will make me go. Hmm. You know, there are very few things that make me go like gaggy. I mean, yes, it's gross, but I can tolerate certainly like, you know, trach stuff and sputum stuff. Vomit is gross, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Poop, pee, yeah. blood. Um, actually, I would say... Actually, you know what? Yeah, I would say it's very specific, but when somebody has a bowel obstruction and they have feculent emesis, right? Like it's specific. It's not just emesis. It's like the feculent emesis. Yes. Then it's particularly bad. For lay people out there, that's imagine like you 
you can't go oh, number yeah. two forever. And then everything really backs up so far that you throw up your own poop. It's terrible. Basically, <laughs> it's basically what happens. And I will tell you, yes, it is unpleasant for us to have to deal with it. But man, is it unpleasant for the, for the patient? Yes. It's the worst for the patient. Yes. And yes, and we each want to do everything to make people better. So, um, you know, yes. even if there's yes. a moment where we have a like a quick reaction, obviously I try to re- recover mm. quickly and obviously never let them see that you might actually be no. feeling uncomfortable for a second. But um, no, no. Or that you threw up in your mouth right. a little bit and just swallowed right. it. Right. No. <laughs> Never let them right. see that. Mm-mm. Right. Because, you know, God damn it. It could be you or me anytime, anytime in the future. Just saying. It could be. I, I believe nurses are the best at suppressing that gag reflex. That's pretty good. Right. Like what other profession do you, are you like forced to be around mm-hmm. really gross looking and smelling stuff and just have to like. Well, you know in? what I learned very quickly on was that just don't, just don't ever smell. Breathe don't through, your, breathe nose. through yes. your nose. Don't ever do it. Yes. And so and now yes. it's like intuitive. I just don't so true. do it. Um, and then we have tricks in the trade. I so agree. Where, you know, you can put a little toothpaste under your nose or something or I yeah. don't know. Or the whole coffee grounds thing that never actually works. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Right. right. I just. um, Yeah. Now I just don't smell through my nose. And then I'm like, we just deal like, with cool, it. Whatever. Yeah. It t- doesn't shock. Rarely things shock me anymore. <laughs> um, Same. And now a moment from our sponsor. Hey, this is Nicole. And I wanted to let you know I have a new event coming up on November 20th. It'll be in the morning. It'll be with Des Wood. And we're going to be doing some self-care. We're going to be doing some wicked self-care, actually. We'll do gratitude and we'll do mindfulness. And then we'll really get our burn on. We're going to sweat some of this stuff out. Go to foundonpodcast.com and click on Unwound Retreats and it'll give you all the information about what you need to know. Also, all the proceeds from this event are going to go to my friend's nonprofit called Hope Center Resources. She uh, helps folks in Seattle who are homeless get toiletries. Um, it's a wonderful nonprofit. So um, hopefully we can give this have this opportunity to give back to the community. All right. <laughs> So you guys, Christina has blown up on TikTok. Now, TikTok is this odd platform. I'm also on it. Um, I got on in the middle of the pandemic um, for fun. And but Christina is on TikTok um, and has over 100,000 followers. That's insane. Um, And she her sort of specialty is doing medical education, which is amazing and also so funny um and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute but how did you get what what happened <laughs> good question i'm asking this myself the same thing so very similar to you like a lot of people i joined like in during quarantine one of my friends has been telling me we've had been telling me for a while like oh you'll love tiktok it's like just your kind of like silly funny humor type stuff so i joined it And of course, like most people just started by not making content, just like watching, scrolling and watching all this, like these like 18 year olds dance. I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm too old for this. (laughs) And then, and then I was like, oh, I can make some fun stuff. Like, so I started making like mom, I have two little kids. So like mom content or like some healthcare nursing related content, just like silly, funny, mostly lip syncing stuff. Mm -hmm. And then like one day I I had been scrolling through TikTok and just kept seeing these like videos or posts or things that were like just were completely blatantly wrong information about masks and people saying 
um, that, you know, you, you, you lose your oxygen in your masks and you can't breathe and you're going to pass out and die. And so I was like, this is ridiculous. guys. So I did a quick video at work where I had an oxygen saturation probe, the pulse oximeter, and I wore several different types of masks and all of them together to just show that my oxygen saturation state. I remember same. that video. Yeah. So that was, that was the one that triggered everything. And that one just blew up completely like not because I am, I'm not the kind, I do not like attention. I don't like to be the center of attention. I just like to go about my business and do my thing. So this was um, very exposing for me. And I would literally was like going to just delete TikTok and say, I can't, deal, <laughs> can't deal with this attention because the comments that were coming in, a lot of them were very supportive, but a lot of them were like, you're an idiot. And like, you don't know anything. And, and then I start questioning myself like, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe I don't know anything. Like maybe I just ruined something. So it just kind of went from there where I started to, once I got past sort of that initial self-doubt, I was like, you know what, maybe I can do something meaningful here. If like this many people found this simple video sort of helpful. And if it sort of triggered this conversation to happen, then maybe I can take that further. So, so that's kind of how it grew from there. And really medical education is yes, what I'm doing, but because of the current situation, I'm really focusing on things related to COVID and fighting misinformation and combating sort of COVID myths that are out there, because I do see this as a threat to our public health and harmful and dangerous. So um, I feel privileged to have like a platform to use to, to talk about this stuff. And I take it very seriously. And I, I research everything I'm going to talk about. I don't just kind of speak out of my butt, you know? So um, yeah, because I don't want to be put in the same category as someone who's just, you know, spewing nonsense and not really backing it up with anything. I, so I'm just going to speak to the audience of this podcast. It's insane the number of people, but basically watching Christina's content, it realize you realize how many people out there believe that this really isn't a big deal. And for those of us that work with patients who've had COVID, worked in their ICUs, many of you have all the people out there have like this. It's it's kind of upsetting, you know, to um to realize like there's just. Uh, this is really just the reality. And so I appreciate what Christina is doing so much. I'm going to, and she does it in a funny way, actually. She has this um, <laughs> this segment where she dramatically reads um, comments from, from people that, you know, don't believe COVID's real. I'm going to read um, a comment that someone says, and this is so funny. Um, I mean, a lot of times the grammar is not a real thing in TikTok comments either. <laughs> Which is fine. Which is fine. fine. Okay. You know, who knows when people are writing comments, right? It could be in the middle of the night. It could be whatever. Um, But this was like, if a doctor says that a mask and a vaccine is good for your health, then they are no longer a doctor, just a soulless, a demon. A demon. Yes. (laughs) I'm familiar with that comment. It's (laughs) it's insanity. Like people believe that like the, you get, you get strep pneumonia from wearing a mask that you like, yeah, obviously you can't All breathe with yeah you're, yeah you, your co2 is high when you wear a mask like you it's just insane uh, what's been the most mm-hmm. surprising thing about tiktok for you there's a i am constantly surprised at the new sort of stories and theories that people come up with to argue against wearing masks mm-hmm. or to argue against you know um shutdowns or whatever it is that, that some states are doing so I'm constantly surprised, I would say. I also am surprised at the level of um, scientific illiteracy there is and actually has been kind of disappointing. You know, I, I think living in the Boston area, you know, there, um, 
it's very academic here, right? So a lot of people here, um, there's a lot of colleges here, there's a lot of hospitals here. So I, I am privileged to live in this area and to have, had, have gotten you know, an education here. I recognize not everybody in the country has that opportunity. Um, but nonetheless, I do feel shocked sometimes at what seems like a lack of a basic understanding of science that one would presumably learn in like a high school biology course or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that to me has been really disappointing. And also I think this um, seemingly widespread lack of trust in just doctors and healthcare folks that like that, that there is an expertise that people have. And I, and I did a video, a kind of a mocking video where you know, I pretended to be a mechanic and I pretended to sort of, um, you know, tell the mechanic, well, I know what's wrong with my car when we should trust the mechanic because that's what they train to do and that's what they do on their job. You know, it's, it sounds just as silly when somebody says to you or me, you know, no, that's not how, what happens to a COVID patient or that's not how it works. And right. Like the- I, I just feel it's, it's very invalidating to us and the work that we put in and the education that we have training, mm-hmm. you know? Like the one that gets me a lot is that people like are not saying that all these people actually die of COVID. No, they're de- no, they're dead of COVID. That's, they're they're, they're dying of and and trying to sort of twist the data to say, well, they also had heart failure or this or that, and but they didn't they didn't die of COVID. I mean, no, they because you know we've talked about this so much. If they if they would not have died on that day, had they not had COVID from their other chronic issues, then they died of COVID. Right. Right. I mean, even my cancer patients. Let's say even if my patient has a prognosis of months left to live. Today, if they died of COVID, they would have died of COVID. Maybe their illness was more severe because they had cancer. Maybe they were more vulnerable to get the disease because they had cancer. But ultimately COVID is what triggered the cascade of events that led to that person's death. And I think the thing is that the general public isn't supposed to understand that, right? Mm the layman is not supposed to understand how a death certificate is completed. They're not expected to understand that it takes a clinical sort of, um, you know, really sort of a clinical critical thinking hat to put on to say, what are the events that led to this patient's demise? Mm -hmm. And there's this assumption Dunning-Kruger, you know, a lot of people say Dunning-Kruger effect where people- Did you see that? Dunning-Kruger, Oh yes, we saw that video. I I actually did a video too. Oh my God. So good. And so I I was, I lip synced in and I pretend to play the guitar. It's so good. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, it's it's a, it's a good song. I was just singing it yesterday. Um, so yeah, so Dunning Kruger effect, right? I think there's people who read one article online and think like, well, I know how death certificates are completed. Um, and it's it's been so. I I think one video I said I think I'm taking crazy pills because I do sometimes think, am I the crazy one? Like, I do. I have pronounced a gazillion deaths and completed a gazillion death certificates. And I'm telling people how it's done. And then they're telling me that's wrong. It really is crazy making. It is. Cr- and, and the thing that gets me too is like, then people say to me, well, you just think you know more than me. I'm like, well, I'm not trying to be this elitist. Like, I'm just telling you that I know more about this. Yes. Than right. You. And you have, a, right. you have medical, you have expertise in that. Um, that that, that speaks to your vulnerability though. And then your, like your own humility to just stop for a second and say, could I be thinking this? Wrong, you know, is, am I not thinking about this in the right way? Um, you know, I, I think that just speaks to you as a human. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's crazy making. Like I, you know, I think about we had this woman. Hmm, I have to be kind of vague here, but we had this woman at some point in time um, who had a, it had a bone marrow stem cell transplant or something like that, right? Um, and got COVID and. Um, and ended up being on ECMO, um, and then ultimately, 
you know, was never able to recover because her body couldn't fight the actual virus, right? She had, you know, unfortunately she got exposed um, and just couldn't ever fight it. And despite the most, most insane treatments that we had out there, you know, two months worth of like, intent, obviously int- the most intensive care you could possibly have, um, she died. But you know what she'd probably died of was COVID SARS too, right? Like, um, like that I'm sure was on her death certificate. Uh, COVID SARS two pneumonia, yeah. right? Appropriately, appropriately on her death certificate. Right, yeah. right. And also multi-organ failure, I'm sure. Respiratory failure, hypoxic respiratory failures, cardiac, you know, like all of it, all, all of it. it. Heart failure. Probably, probably renal probably failure. Renal, I mean, like all, all basically yeah. multi-organ failure. And, um, and uh, so appropriately also she died of COVID, right? She could mm-hmm. never click. Because COVID, exactly. That's what started the cascade of events that led to the person's death. Yes. Yeah. And we obviously, we're speaking to the choir here because the people, the yeah. people who listen to this podcast are smart. <laughs> right. So every, everyone's nodding their heads in the car right now. They're like, yeah. That's right. You guys tell That's it. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Oh my gosh. Christina, I um I just think it's been so fun to talk to you. It's it was so it's fun. It's so fun. I um is there anything else you want to talk about or um I see I hear your kids are up. Do you have to Oh my god, can you hear oh, them? No, oh, it's geez, just in the I'm last so couple minutes. No big deal. Totally fine. Okay. I'll, you know. Yeah, they're just destroying the house. It's fine. Um <laughs> Everything's under control, guys. Don't worry. Um, yeah, no, I, I think just first of all, thank you for inviting me. I, I love this type of thing. I love teaching. I love talking and I love sort of nursing. So I'm so passionate about just talking about nursing. And I think my closing statement would be wear a mask, please. Oh, Everybody. yes. Wait, one last thing. This is going to come out yeah. um, on the day before the election. So this will be coming out on Monday. Ooh. Any thoughts let's i mean we could say as i say a prayer we're both like shaking with anxiety we're, like, <laughs> no, no, we're visually freaking what's, out what's there to say about the election oh there's nothing to say um, uh, okay i'm gonna cross you my know fingers. let's that's it uh, you know i try hard not to get political in my post yep. it comes out because i because you can't separate politics and healthcare sometimes but um you know we just need to trust science i think and that is the only thing that's going to get us out of this pandemic is to trust science. Oh my God. Who would have, who would think that that would be the thing? Mm. Mm. Just trust. Who would have thunk it? Science. Oh God. Okay. Well, hopefully everybody out there will be trusting science. Um, thank you so much. You can, do you want me to say what your Instagram is? I can, I'll, I, you know, I'll tag you. Yeah, on. sure. So is it, it's Christina NP with seven A's. Oh, okay, great. On and on Instagram and um, TikTok. And so, but I'll tag you on the Instagram right. post for found down. But um, keep doing the amazing work that you're doing. I look forward to seeing you on on your amazing platform. Um, I love that you just keep trying to promote the truth out there. Um, we so inspiring and, and not and it does obviously take a lot of time so what you're doing is uh no small feat so i just want to thank you personally from um from and on behalf of all of us healthcare workers out there thank you for combating thank falsehoods you. thanks for promoting the truth <laughs> thank you and um thank you so i hope much. you have a wonderful rest of your evening over in boston and um see you on the next one Thank you.
Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you.